Advent, we're going to be talking about the idea of real Christmas. And in the theme of that, good morning, by the way. Hey, and I like you guys in the front row. I'm trying to, I was sitting there trying to figure out what could we do next week to get you up here again. That was pretty, nice job. Uh, the, uh, I, I remembered that the grade school kids were going to be with us this morning in the first service. And, and so I, I have a little story for you guys. And um, I have a picture uh, up here. And any, who knows, anybody know who that is? Yeah, Rudolph. Rudolph the Red, uh, and, and Red Nosed Reindeer. And it's one of the most beloved songs in, in all of, uh, you know, the Christmas music. And, uh, and it really, here's the real story. It came out of an advertising gimmick in 1931. This old department store, Montgomery Wards, uh, got one of their uh, vice presidents of marketing and, and uh, assigned him to write a poem that the Santa Claus sitting at the tree welcoming all the kids could give to all the children. So this advertising executive, I put his name down just because people like that stuff, Robert May, he wrote this poem. And uh, they handed out that year, Montgomery Wards across the country handed out a couple of million, uh, 2.5 million exactly, uh, copies of that poem. And by 1946, they had handed out 6 million copies uh, of the poem, were, were distributed actually that year. And then in 1949, uh, this, John, this May, Robert May's brother-in-law put it to music. And they tried to get somebody to sing it, and Bing Crosby turned them down, and uh, uh, all these other famous, Dinah Shore turned them down. And, and finally, this, this cowboy singer named Gene Autry decided that he would be the one to sing it. He said yes, and they've sold 25 million copies of that song over the years. It's one of the most popular songs uh, that we have at Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so most people think that it's a cool story about this little reindeer who overcame the obstacles and uh, uh, succeeded at something. But the real story about Rudolph is a story about grace. You see, Rudolph had a problem. He had this nose that made him stand out. It was really shiny. He had a, a defect, and, and he was on the outside. And poor Rudolph wasn't allowed to play in any reindeer game, <laughs> right? And then one stormy Christmas Eve, Santa came, and he said, that's not a defect, that's a gift, and I want you to be in the family. I want you to join us. I've got a special mission for you. And Santa turned that defect into something that was usable, something that was perfect for the situation, something that changed Christmas, that saved Christmas. It's a story of grace. It's a story of being on the outside looking in. And, and then suddenly, because of Santa, not because of Rudolph, but because of what Santa did, becoming an insider, and you see, the story of Christmas is always a story about outsiders who are looking in, people with defects. You know, we just finished a study in the Gospel of Mark, and Peter had a defect. He denied Jesus three times, and still Jesus included him in the family. And if you, you read the story of the resurrection, you know that Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, he had a defect. He was called the doubter, and yet Christ allowed him into the family, and and gave him a mission. All of the disciples were defective, basically. They, they all ran when Christ was arrested. They all uh, were afraid and took off. And, and yet God used them to turn the whole world upside down. 
And all of life is a story about being on the outside and being invited on the inside. And the story of Christmas is that in spite of all of our defects, God loves us. And he invites us in to this family. And, and you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes the stories that we hear in life, uh, there's more to it than we know. Sometimes we hear a story for a long time, but if we find out what's the real story, what's at, what's at the bottom of all of this, what was it really about? We find that there's something more important, there's something deeper than, than we ever imagined. And sometimes when we hear the whole story, the, the real story, it changes everything. And that's what we're going to try to do over the next four Sundays is talk about the real story of Christmas. And this morning we're going to begin it with this uh, story of real family. Real family, N not the cleavers, uh, not the TV, not the make-believe family, but real family. And we all know, don't we, that, that real family is always way more complicated than the make-believe family, right? That's what we want to talk about this morning, and we're going to do that out of Matthew, the first chapter. We're going to talk about the genealogy of Jesus. And, and you know, and, and I get it, the genealogy is the part that we skip over, when we want to read the Christmas story, right? You look at all those names, and you look at that list, and you kind of go, I can't pronounce any of those. Let's just cut to the chase and get to the whole manger thing, right? But you see, the story of Christmas doesn't start with the manger. The story of Christmas starts thousands of years before that. And so Matthew takes us all the way back to Abraham 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, uh, to Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish nation. He was a, considered a man of, of faith. And, and so Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus comes from this long line, this, these descendants, this big, long family, uh, this incredibly dysfunctional family. And Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants us to understand that the history of Jesus starts with Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. We're going to start with Abraham this morning. Uh, the story of Jesus, the genealogy is the story of the fulfillment of God's promises. It's the completeness of history. And if you really want to look at the book of the genealogy is the book of the origin, the genesis of Jesus. So just like you go to Genesis 1, when you go to Matthew 1, we go back to the beginning, and we're going to talk about the Christ. We're going to talk about the one that God promised. We're going to talk about the life of Jesus. And, and the genealogies, just so you know, is broken up into three parts. The first part starts with Abraham, and it goes to King David. And there's a natural break there with King David. And then we go from uh, King David to a time that we call the exile. Uh, when in about 605 BC, the Babylonians came in and they conquered Jerusalem and they did what they called a deportation. At about 587 BC, they began to take the learned, the, uh, the educated, the powerful, all those people from Jerusalem, and they began to scatter them around the Babylonian Empire to try to keep rebellions down. And so we'll go from Abraham to David, from David to the time of the deportation, from the time of the exile, uh, and then we'll go from the time of the exile to the birth of Jesus. So those are the three breaks uh, in the genealogy of Jesus, and they're really important markers in, uh, in, in history. Uh, you know, you, you might, 
some of us look at, we love uh, Ancestors.com. Seriously, it's addicting. Um, you go to Ancestors.com, and, and it's a great hobby. You know, tra- trace your ancestors back to, um, you know, we have uh, Patrick Henry, and then his parents came from Aberdeen, Scotland, and, and so we can go, we, we, you know, I love all that stuff. Uh, I was a history major in college. I still, I still like all that stuff. Um, but, but for if you lived in the first century, if you were Jewish in those days, you would know that that your ancestors tracing your ancestors was not a hobby, but it was a resume. In fact, there's one historian, a second century uh, historian named uh, Julius Africanus, uh, wrote that Herod the Great, that we read about in the Christmas story, Herod uh, was very particular about his genealogy. In fact, he marked out anybody in his genealogy. He erased anybody that could challenge his authority or could challenge his pedigree or his lineage or his right to be uh, the king at that time, including Ruth that we read about in the Bible. Uh, he, he just erased anybody that could challenge his position or his place because your, your ancestry, uh, your lineage was your resume. It's where you came from. It gave uh, the right to be called uh, a king, the right to be called part of that family. And so it wasn't a hobby for them. It was something much more important. And so as they're looking at who Jesus was, and, and Matthew is trying to explain to him that Jesus is the one that God promised, that Jesus is the one who came to be the savior of the world. It's really important for them to see that he comes from that long line. Uh, so let's look at it. Uh, let's look at those first verses this morning in uh, uh, Matthew, the first chapter. It says this in verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, I'll take a breath in just a sec, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Uh, Matthew is grounding Jesus in real history. Jesus is real. Jesus really lived in history. He really walked the earth. He really was exactly who he said he was, and he's also who God promised us. And so Matthew's telling us a good deal about who Jesus is and grounding him in history because he wants us to understand that the Bible isn't a story that begins with once upon a time. But the Bible's a real story, real people, real lives, and how God intersected in our lives at that time. And that's one of the important things about the Scripture is that Scripture is not a book of good advice. The Scripture is not a book about good advice. The, The Scripture is a book about good news. And there's a huge difference between good advice and good news. You see, advice tells me something that I should be doing. Or here's an option for you. Here's some good advice, something that you could do. But good news tells me something that's already been done. And when when the angels came and said, we have good news of glad tidings, they're saying that the Christ has been born, that God has already done something, that God has intervened in the world, that he's moved into the neighborhood, that something's already happened. It's not just good advice, but it's really, really good news. And then we start with Abraham. 
And here's the first lesson that I want you to take out of the genealogies this morning, and that is simply this, that God is faithful to his promises in spite of our unfaithfulness. God is faithful to his promises in spite of our unfaithfulness. If there was ever a picture of a dysfunctional family, this is it. Uh, God is faithful in spite of them. You know, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac, and Isaac's wife is Rebecca, and Isaac and Rebecca start playing their twin boys against each other, and one parent favoring one son, similar to how Abraham preferred Isaac over Ishmael. Uh, Isaac favors Esau, and Rebecca favors Jacob, and Jacob ends up with a bunch of kids, and he favors Joseph over all of those kids. And they just continue to get more messed up. So there's some really dysfunctional favoritism going on in the family. There's also marital uh, dysfunction and, and deceit that goes on in the marriages. Abraham lies about his wife. Twice he tells kings that she's not my wife, she's my sister. You, here you can take her. And they find out that he's not telling the truth. Jacob lies about, or um, I'm sorry, Isaac lies about his wife. And Jacob lies about pretty much everything. <laughs> then Jacob has kids who lie about him to their brother, uh, Joseph, saying uh, that he was killed by wild animals when, in fact, they sold him into slavery. And that's the dysfunction of just the first list of names in the genealogies. How are you feeling about your family now? Better? <coughs> One of the other lessons here is that we're not helpless and we're not hopeless because here's a list of people that just messed up. <laughs> they just, God gave them this great opportunity and they didn't deliver. And yet God was faithful to them in spite of their unfaithfulness. And if you want to know what the real story of Christmas is, it's the fact that the God of the universe is faithful to us even in our unfaithfulness. That while we were yet sinners, Romans says, Christ died for us. God is faithful, even in the middle of our unfaithfulness, that we're not hopeless and we're not without hope in our lives because we follow, we serve a God who is faithful. Jesus said when he talked about his purpose in life, he says, uh, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came to call, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And God continues to be faithful even when we're not faithful. And that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where messed up people can come. People who have been unfaithful can come and they're redeemed because that's the heart of Jesus. That's what Jesus is about. That's who he calls us to be. Here's the second point. The first is that God's faithful to his promises in spite of our unfaithfulness. And here's the second one. The, the second point is that God doesn't forget us. You know, there are some really interesting stories. You know, there are four women listed in the genealogies, which is pretty unusual uh, because it was a very patriarchal society. And, and But there are four women listed, and, and, the fir and, and actually none of them were even Jewish except for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so we've got this sort of these interesting insertions by Matthew into the genealogy of Jesus. The, the first one is uh, Tamar. And, and they want us to know that, that Vera came by Tamar and then Perez, the father of Hezron, and we go down the list. And, and so we get to Tamar. I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you what happened there because we have children here this morning. The next person that we have 
uh, on the list is, uh, well, we have Nashan, the father of Salmon, and I just wanted to tell you that Salmon is considered the founder of Bethlehem, so you can just you know jot that down in the corner of your Bible and use it in the next trivia contest. Uh, and then uh, Salmon, the father, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? Remember when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, and uh, they were their their lives were threatened, and this woman uh, who was of bad reputation said, I'm going to follow your God. I think that your God is the powerful God. And, and she rescued them and she let them down the, the wall of Jericho. And then God's people conquered Jericho and, and she was saved. And now she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz uh, was, uh, came from her line and uh, he was the father of Obed uh, by Ruth. Uh, Ruth was a, a Moabite. Um, how many of you know any Moabites in your neighborhood? No, because the, in the Old Testament, Moabites were considered so wicked, they were considered so bad, they were under a curse. And here is Ruth, she's a Moabitess, and she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus because God is faithful even when we're unfaithful and God doesn't forget, he doesn't give up on his promises in our life. And if you want to read one of the coolest love stories in all uh, ever, read the book of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz and how God preserved them and how God worked his mission in the world through them, through Ruth. And then we have, of course, Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. And we have a picture of God's faithfulness. Uh, now we have in Matthew 1, 6, the second half, we have uh, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. It's interesting that he doesn't use, say, Bathsheba. And, Dave, and Matthew doesn't say, left, leave out the name of Bathsheba because he's undermining Bathsheba, but he's doing it because he's, he's bringing out the incredible failure of David. So here's Uriah, is the husband of Bathsheba. You guys all, you know, you all know the story about Bathsheba, right? But you know what part of the real story is? That before David was king, King Saul was trying to kill him, and he was hiding in the, in the desert. He was living in caves, and he was down to 10 men. He had his 10 mighty men that talks about in the Old Testament. You know, one of those mighty men was Uriah, one of his faithful friends, one of his partners, one of his mighty men that was with him even before he became king was Uriah. And Uriah was murdered because of David's infidelity. And, and yet in God's incredible love and in his incredible mission and his incredible faithfulness, it's all in the genealogy of Jesus. These women are on the list. They're not forgotten. God continued to be faithful and to fulfill his promises in spite of failure and pain. No one is forgotten. If you feel forgotten this morning, I want you to look at these names. I want you to look at this genealogy. I want you to look at God's faithfulness. And I want you to be reminded this morning that God hasn't forgotten you. He never forgets you. It's part of the gospel. It's part of the truth of who Jesus is.
Let me give you the third thing here. Faith is not inherited. It's a choice. Faith is not inherited. It's a choice. We used to talk about that to our sons all the time, right? Um, You know, and then the the really clever old man thing to say is that, you know, just because you uh, live in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. I actually said that. I'm so sorry, Aaron. But the truth is that we all make a decision whether or not we're going to follow Christ. That faith isn't inherited, but faith is a choice. And so if we look at the genealogy, one of the things that we see is that there's this great lineage that we get to the, we get to King David and we see that following David, that, that kings chose not to follow God. They chose not to be faithful to God. Uh, we have Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. You know, if you're ever reading this out loud and, and you're really worried about messing up the words, just read it really fast and nobody's going to catch it. Joram was the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh was the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So we have these series of kings, and they started to turn away from God, and they started to worship other gods. They started to follow other gods. They started to go other directions. They got so full of themselves often. Uh, they got so rebellious that they thought they could do whatever they pleased, whatever pleased them, and they turned from God, and one of the great lessons here, and it's one of the great lessons that parents need to understand, it's one of the great lessons that kids need to understand, is that, that, that faith isn't inherited, that faith is still a choice, that we choose to follow God, we choose to give our lives to Christ, uh, that we make that choice in our lives, and here we have these guys with these incredible pedigrees, this great lineage that come from kings, and they didn't follow God, they didn't stay faithful to God. In fact, um, Jehoiakim, uh, or Jeconiah, I'm sorry, uh, was written about in Jeremiah. Listen to what, listen to Jeremiah 22:30. It says this: uh, God speaking to Jeremiah, uh, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Now we know that Jeconiah had children, but none of his children ever sat on the throne in Jerusalem. None of his children ever succeeded him as king. That, that God, he was, he was so wicked that he was so unfaithful that God said uh, that none of his offspring will ever uh, sit on the throne. That essentially we have those demarcations here because we have from Abraham to David and, and then David to the, uh, to the Babylonian exile. And, and one of the reasons that this is so important, you kind of wonder, why would he use that? Why would he make the, the, the separation at this exile, at, at the Babylonian exile? And that is because that Israel's kings had gotten to such a point that after that there weren't going to be any more kings until Christ the king came. It was the end of kings for Israel until Christ came, until the Messiah came, until Christ the king was born, the king of the Jews, that it was going to end until the true king was finally born. Matthew 1, 12 to 16 says this, after the deportation uh, to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiod 
the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azar, and Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of uh, Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. That God finished what he started in spite uh, of the crew, in spite of the failings. Uh, and we have this genealogy that's really important. First Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with silver, uh, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, uh, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That here's what Peter is trying to help us understand, that in spite of this dysfunctional family that Jesus came from, that God had ordained, that God had established, that he would be the lamb who would be slain to take away the sins of the world, that God was even working through that failure. And when we look at our own lives, we see how often God works through our failures or in spite of all fa our failures, through the pain that we have from our families or in spite of the pain that we have from our families, that God is the one that's faithful. And so we have an opportunity to be part of a real family, the family of God, the family uh, that came through Jesus Christ. And I think it's important to understand that in, in Matthew, Matthew did not try to sanitize the genealogy of Jesus. He, he didn't change it. He didn't try to make it look better. He, he left all of the mess in there because that's what Jesus came for. That's what the good news is, that he takes sinners, that he takes the lost, that, that he takes the dysfunctional, that he takes the mess up, and he redeems us, and he restores us, and he gives us a new life because of him. It's good news because it's what Jesus has done. It's not good advice, and it's not good because we've done something so great. It's good news because it's what Christ Christ has done for us. <laughs> I saw a sign once that I loved. It was, a, it was a, a lost dog sign. And it said this, that there was a, a big cash reward for whoever found this lost dog. Here's the description of the dog. It says, he's only got three legs. He's blind in the left eye. He's missing a right ear. His tail has been broken off. He was neutered accidentally by a fence. <sighs> he's almost deaf. And he answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> and that's what redemption is all about, isn't it? That's, that's what redemption is all about. That he, he's lucky because he's loved. He's not lucky because of all the things that have happened to him. But he's lucky because he's been redeemed. There's a reward for him. He's so loved that there's a reward for this puppy for this dog. His owners want him back. So here's the story this morning that Jesus came. The story, the real story of Christmas is the story of Jesus. And he has invited us to be part of his family. The real family. It's the family of God. It's an eternal family. And it's not built on how good we've been. It's not built on anything that we've done but it's built on the love of God that thousands of years ago determined to, that he was on a mission to redeem us. And he didn't let the dysfunctional families or the messed up people keep that mission from being fulfilled in Christ. So we want to talk about real Christmas this morning. We want to begin it by talking about real family. 
Because regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we come from, we have an opportunity to be in a real family, family of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you, uh, you put a real family in the Gospel of Matthew with all a mess and all the dysfunction. And, and yet it reminds us, Lord, that, that that's who we are. That's where we come from. It reminds us of your grace and your love. And, and so, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we, we receive your love and your grace. And we give you praise and honor and glory. couple of Christmas carols, they're not entirely traditional, um, but sing along when you can, and uh, we'll, we'll get more traditional as we get closer to Christmas, I promise. <laughs>
have our prayer partners that uh, will be back here by the back doors this morning. And uh, if you would like to be prayed for, prayed with, please feel free to stop and they would love to pray with you this morning. And also, um, you can fill out our prayer forms and uh, write your request down and we'll be praying with you and for you during the week. So please take advantage of those. Uh, you know, uh, that's a beautiful song, one of the famous songs, you know, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. Let me, let me say this this morning that... Uh, I don't know what kind of family that you came from, um, but I want you to know this this morning, that you have a father who adores you. Your heavenly father adores you. That your heavenly father moved history in order to have a relationship with you, to invite you back into his family. And that we have the privilege this morning of being part of a real family, uh, the family of God. And so as you're walking through this holiday season, if, it, if it's painful for you, I, take a deep breath and just thank God that you're in his family, that he's your father and that he adores you. And I love you. So have a great day. God bless.
Your Majesty, and I.